It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Well, this is uh, the Monday edition of Daily Thunder. It's a very special edition, too. I mean, for reasons that might only be noticed by Nathan and I, but it's episode 300, which is significant. And I think I even mentioned this yesterday because uh, iTunes only allows like 300 in the podcast. So then, like, as I get to 301, so right now it's like the last time when you can actually download all of them. So, uh, yeah, you, if, if some of you are just discovering Daily Thunder, that's a lot of catching up to do, uh, isn't it? But, uh, so congratulations, Nathan, uh, on episode 300. This is a big day for us, isn't it? Uh, that's, uh, that's a, it's been a fun year. Uh, so we're going to start a new series. This is not because I am abandoning my series on World War II, so I just want that to be known. Some of you might be excited to get away from World War II. I'm disappointed that I need to take a week and focus on something else. However, what I'm focusing on is so center to a passion point that I'm willing to go through it. Uh, And that's secrets of intimacy. And that is because if anyone's listening from the outside, listening to this via podcast going, why is Eric abandoning in the uh, World War II series? We are starting an advanced training today. This is actually the first day, unless we can consider last night uh, as part of it. But uh, we are going to be going through, the, the advanced is a focus on devotional excellence. And devotional excellence uh, is such a profound thing that most Christians have never really understood how to pursue. They know that they desire it, but there's not a lot of tools given these days. And so this is a training that specifically is going to focus on that. And for all of us that are involved in the advance, we started this model because we've had advanced trainings for years, but this one, this model that we have, which we launched last fall, is so invigorating. It is so exciting. So I'm, I'm really excited to be sharing it with you guys. So yes, we're taking a break from the World War II series. I think on Sunday I'll, I'll like, uh, you know, get a little World War II and then I'll, we'll get back to business again. Uh, but this one is called The Importance of Time. And the idea of time is something that many of us don't think a lot of about, maybe. But you have a limited amount of it. And how you spend it matters greatly in the kingdom of heaven. And so there was a discussion we had last week with the classic students. Uh, and it, it stems off of a comment from uh, Philip Hartman, which I don't even know that I... F- I wasn't there when he said it, but it was the, the idea started with if you only had like a thousand words in your life and yet you have this truth, which words would you use to speak? And the same thing is true. If you recognize that you have limited numbers of breaths, you have limited numbers of seconds in your life, and they're, you know, every time, oh, we just lost one. It, we're, we're getting less and less with every passing second or with every breath you are losing, you're chipping away at one of the breaths that you have how will you take care and steward the breaths that you have? And so it's this idea of time, which God puts us in this element of time where there's a limitation to our season on this earth. And as a result, he is going to commission us to utilize that season as if it matters and apply our hearts unto wisdom so that the way we use that limited time that we have is the way he would intend us to. So it's, and it's ironic how important that is in what we're gonna call intimacy. 
A.W. Tozer, this is a quote that uh, I came across, uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago. It's been very, very significant in my life. Uh, and it was from the book we used to have in our training, the book, The Pursuit of Man. But I, when I read it, it was called The uh, Divine Conquest. And this, this quote, I'll just read it to you. The man who would know God must give time to him. Now, that is such a basic, you know, there's nothing startling about the quote, is there? However, why would that startle me? You know, I was well into my spiritual pursuit at that time. I had been going after Jesus with great intensity. Why would it shock me to come to a conclusion that the man who would know God must give time to him? It's a very simple statement. And yet, many of us desire to know God, but we fail to oftentimes make the transaction of what would cause us to be able to know God. You know, there's different ways that you can spend time with someone too. Uh, and this next quote will give you, you see, I'm going to, this is E.W. Ludi, not A.W. Tozier. My middle name is uh, Winston, so the W is, uh, I'm able to sort of act like A.W., but it's E.W. And the man who would know his wife must spend time with her. You know, that, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to know your wife, you need to spend time with her. And so, but there's two different ways to spend time. There's like time spent by proximity and time spent in focus. So like for instance, I can brush my teeth next to Leslie. We can go out into the kitchen and you know, I can be making a bowl of cereal while she's stirring some kind of uh, muffin mix. And we could be in the same proximity and I could say, look, I spent all morning with you. And yet she might say, that didn't count as time. And it's like, what do you mean it doesn't count as time? Because a woman innately understands time that matters, and a man sometimes doesn't get that. Uh, it's like proximity to him is like, check. And that isn't what cultivates intimacy in the depth of relationship connectedness. And so when we are talking about spending time with God, it's not proximity, like being near the Bible or being near a church building, and suddenly it's like, oh, check. You know, I've spent time with God. Just being in church doesn't actually mean you spent time with God. Or being in your devotional time and reading scripture, get this, doesn't necessarily mean you are spending time with God. I know that sounds funny at first. But did you know that there's ways of approaching the scriptures that detach you from intimacy with God? Because you're just fascinated doctrinally. And you're like, oh, I need to study that out. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just it's not getting to know God necessarily. There's a, it's the same as true with I could spend time with Leslie and we could have a business conversation. And that doesn't mean I'm spending time with her the way this is talking about. We're not cultivating our relationship. We're dealing with business and schedule and all those things. We can do that in our, in our relationship with God as well. We're dealing with, you know, the duties. The, you know, check. Yes, I did the prayer. I, yes, I did the study. I did the reading. I did the memory. Isn't it funny that you could do all the right things and somehow be detached from the whole point of it all? Be still and know that I am God. So right there, if you were to circle that on the screen, you're going to see something that is significant in our understanding of intimacy. And I'm going to give a Ludi 46. That was Psalm 46.10. This is Ludi 46.10. Be still and know that she is your wife. You see, there's, there's times when a man... And this is, classic man thing, okay? And since we have a lot of girls in here, uh, it's, we could all chuckle at the fact that men have some issues when it comes to intimacy, right? 
However, men have other strengths. It's just that we have some vulnerabilities and some weaknesses. We can say the same thing about femininity. It's like femininity has its strengths. It also has its vulnerabilities and weaknesses. We start getting into devotional excellence and relational excellence. Women almost like are wired to be more attuned to what is needed in this, whereas men seem to be a little more dull in it. That does not mean men can't succeed in this. They just need a little help along the way. And so, so say I go out and I'm spending time with Leslie, and it's a date night, okay, and there we are. Uh, there, there's a cer certain things that I've learned over the years to not do. There's certain places, you know, where they have TVs all over the wall, and so you go out to eat, and then there's Leslie's head, and there's a game right above her head. And I might not even care about the game, but it's right above her head, and there's movement constantly going on. I'm trying my best, you know, to stay focused. And she'll see my eyes flicker up. It's like, what are you watching? It's like, nothing. I'm not watching it. I, and it's weird because then I, I want to know who's playing because it's like if, I'm, if it's going to be above her head, I at least need to know who's playing. And then, once, then it's like, well, who's winning? And so it's like it's ridiculous. So one of the things, you know, first of all, if we ever have to go to one of those places where they have TVs, it's like we, could we find a spot where there is, I, that we can't see the TV? That's hard, okay, because they purposely set it up where like every seat can see it. And then I am going to face away from it. Now, it doesn't mean Leslie's not going to have the same problems. It's just for me, I cannot spend time with my wife effectively in that situation. Have you ever had it where, if you, you've probably seen it, because I know that um, not many of us, if any of us in here other than me, are married. Uh, this is quite the collection of people. Uh, but so Leslie's talking with me, and it's very possible to be there and be on a date with my wife and to have my mind elsewhere. How does that work? I don't know, and believe me, Leslie can't figure it out either, how this could happen to Eric, but my mind's chewing on something. It could be something she said earlier, and my, my mind is chewing. I have an idea. And so then she'll say something like, uh, are you listening? It's like, oh, yeah, of course. And it's like, what am I saying? Classic moment, okay, in a marriage. What am I saying? And so then I'll be like, well, you, and a guy has this amazing knack to be able to take the last few words that were floating in the air and then knit them together in some kind of fabricated answer to that. It's like, you were talking about the kids and, you know, things like that. And then less, sometimes the guy gets it right and the woman's like thrown off like, okay. Uh, but then sometimes you just blow it. Like I've had quite a few times like, that is not, that was five minutes ago. And I'm like, well, well that's what I'm thinking about over here. <laughs> it's terrible. Those are horrible moments. But you need to realize that when you spend time with God, the same can be true. You're there, you're on your date, quote unquote, with God, but you're not there. And if he were to say, are you listening to me? What was the last thing I said to you, Eric? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, let's see here. You see, God's wanting to communicate with us. He's holding a conversation with us, and we can so easily detach. So as you see, what you're going to see me do is I'm going to link a relationship with God with this parallel in our world of a relationship with a spouse. Now, just because you may not be married doesn't mean you can't get the idea and understand what this means because we have seen relationships around us and it gives us a picture of the intimacy and the desire that God has. And there isn't any one of us, and I can say this as a man, any, I don't go out on a date with the intention of disconnecting and going off and chewing on something in my mind when Leslie's talking to me. It's not a purposeful thing, okay? It is just a vulnerability that we have. 
men have a limitation in their ability to focus. Now, I've heard varying studies on women and their ability to multitask, okay? That even when women multitask, it diminishes their ability to focus in each one of those zones. They can't give 100% focus in 10 different areas. They're giving 10% focus in 10 areas. Now, a guy, I, like I am pathetic at multitasking. If I'm pulling weeds and someone's trying to talk to me, you know that I can't seem to do both at the same time? If someone's talking to me, I'll stop pulling weeds and I'll, I'll listen to them. And they're like, oh, I need to pull weeds. And then I start pulling weeds and I'm focused on pulling weeds. And I'm like, what are you saying? Uh, it's, here, here's the good thing about a man, though. Even though it's ridiculous that we struggle with multitasking, we're very focused when we're focused. So when a man is focused, he's focused. When he's not focused, he's really not focused. <laughs> we have a tough time picking up on, like the, the conversations in Starbucks around us at the same time we're trying to focus. I can't listen to other conversations. I, I mean, some of them are so loud, I do, but then I can't focus on what I'm doing, right? Now that conversation becomes my focus. Like, come on, could you please quiet down? And yet a woman has a strange capacity to weigh in on 10 different conversations around them in Starbucks. I still can't figure out how they would do that. That, that could just be myth, because I've never been a woman to try it out, right? However, that's the rumor from what I've heard. So this is key. Be still... Eric, and know that she is your wife. Know her. Be focused. Be still. Be attuned. So if I'm going to encourage you as the bride of Christ to connect with Jesus and to be attuned, and if Jesus were to at any point in time in that time that you're spending with him say, what, what was I saying to you? That you're ready for the answer. Lord, you're talking to me about my soul. You were pointing this out and saying you desire to work this in me. You're ready with the answer because you're attuned, you're still, and knowing that he is your God. Two motivations for the expenditure of time. So now I'm gonna give you two choices, and I want you to pick which one you think is going to be most beneficial to your life and the intimacy that you share with your God. What do I get out of it? That's, that's one option, one mentality you could bring to the table. And two, what can I give out of it? Now, that's not how we typically speak in the English language. What can I give out of it? But one is what do I get? The other is what can I give? When I get together with Leslie and we are having a time together, a time of focus, a time of relationship building, there is nothing worse than for me to say something like, so why are we doing this? What do I get out of it? How is this going to make my life better to spend time with you? Okay, now that would, every girl in here is suddenly bristling. It's like, how dare you, Eric, even think such a thought? You know how many of us approach our relationship with God that exact same way, though? It's like, okay, so God, you're wanting time. Why? Okay, what, why do you demand so much of my life here? I mean, I have limited time on this earth, and you're actually wanting me to spend time. Like, how much? for prayer, how much am I supposed to give to check off this demand that you have in my life? When it comes to studying the Bible, how much time is required? How much time do I need to cultivate this thing? Because a lot of us are aiming for what we could call a B average in our Christianity. So if, if any of you have ever dealt with a GPA, uh, and you've, you know, whether it's in the public school or whether it's in college, you recognize that if you're getting a B average, you know, a 3.0 or above, you know, that gives you the opportunity for the next steps. And the same is true in our mentality in Christianity is that we oftentimes aim for a B average. An A is a big demand on us. It's gonna take more time. 
And so many of us are satisfied with a B. If we could just get a B, we don't really want to see a D or an F. I mean, okay, but we want a B. So God, what do I need to do to get a B? Well, what's required of me? You see, that mentality in and of itself is a problem. And it's going to hinder our relationship. If Leslie overheard me, you know, saying, yeah, I, you know, these times with Leslie, they really don't benefit me. Oh, wow. Okay, we have immediately have crisis in the relationship. You see, when we approach any relationship, okay, what am I getting out of it? As opposed to what, what can I give? Jesus Christ has given everything to me. And he invites me into his presence to spend time with him. Uh, Okay, what can I give? Not what can I take, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I wash? How can I worship? How can I adore? How can I encourage? How can I bless? You ever thought of blessing God as opposed to just waiting for his blessing? Isn't that just an interesting thought? You know, when you're in a relationship with a spouse, your desire is to think about them. It's called thoughtfulness so that you can give to them. Not so you can just wait for the next love letter that they send. It's like, when are they, when, when are they gonna give the next love letter? Excuse me. I'm waiting for a love letter. Many of us approach our relationship with God in a very odd way. It's a very selfish way, even though we don't recognize that it's selfish, because it's true, he's the vine, we're the branches. We need something from him, and he doesn't mind that. He is our supplier, where our spouse cannot supply that sap like God can to us. So there is that dimension, but we oftentimes fail to realize that we want to bear fruit for him. If he's going to give us that life, we want to give something back to him. We want to show him that we're taking what he's investing and giving it to him, and that's what pleases him. What do I get out of it, or what can I give out of it? Christianity is entirely summarized by what can I give out of it? If God is going to supply me with anything, it's so that I can give, not so that I can just receive. We are a flow-through channel as believers. In a relationship with a spouse, yes, relationships with spouses and relationship with God are slightly different, but there are so many parallels. Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is a scripture that is talking about time. Number our days. We could have, it could have said number our hours. It could have said number our minutes. It could say number our seconds. Teach us to number our seconds that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You see, what we need is wisdom for the time that we do have. You have time throughout your day that you need to have wisdom for. You know that most of us do not think about how to apply our hearts unto wisdom, and as a result, we waste a good percentage of our life. A good percentage, a high percentage of most people's lives just is totally wasted as opposed to maximized. So let's go through a short list and let's apply some wisdom to it, okay? We'll call the first line the in-between moments. And so there are in-between moments in life. And many of us don't think about these moments. But like for instance, when we finish here, I am going to walk either to my car. I have a meeting with, uh, well, actually, we, we have a 15-minute break typically. So maybe I should take that back. We have a 15-minute break. So there's some gap of time. That's an in-between moment. After class, I'm going to walk to my car or I'm gonna meet Sandy for a, a meeting, right? Right afterwards. And so in that, I have an in-between. I have a walk. I'm walking from here to my car. What do I do with that time? You ever thought about that time? And proactively utilizing that time is actually a very biblical concept. 
whether you're going from here to there or, you know, whether you're sitting or rising, doesn't matter what you're doing, you're taking advantage of this time. And so I'm going to apply my heart unto wisdom and I'm going to leverage that time. So there's various things you could do. I'm just going to give you some samples of proactively taking advantage because many of us go brain dead or we watch, you know, just look around as opposed to saying, okay, God, whenever I'm in my in-between time, I want to work on my scripture memory. Okay, this is just an, a concept. You take out your card, your, your uh, little index card, and you have your scripture on it. And you're memorizing, you're looking at it, and you're repeating because that's just what you do in your in-between time. In other words, you're taking that time and you're applying wisdom to it to make it something more than it has been. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at God's creation, adoring it, so that you can engage him in fellowship and relationship and say, thank you, Lord, for this beauty. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly wonderful way to spend your in-between time, too. But many of us are completely out to lunch in our in-between time. We're not connected with the God of the universe. We're not using it in a purposeful fashion. In the down times is the next one on the list. Downtime is not something that I have experienced much of in my life for many years. I always have something that I could be doing. And so, and I don't know how many of you, well, when, when you're in the advanced, you'll find that that's pretty true as well, that there's always something you could be doing or should be doing. And however, if you do have a downtime, what are you doing with it? In other words, there's a better way to handle these things where, okay, I don't have any work I need to get done. I don't have any assignments here what can I do? How you utilize that time can be greatly significant in your life. When you're, when the in-between times, when I'm driving, uh, it's one of the most significant times in my day because I get a lot done when I drive because I just have to drive places. I have meetings in various spots, just going 10 minutes back and forth to the house. And so oftentimes I am going to make my calls in that time, because it's hard to find time for, for phone calls uh, in my life. And so oftentimes, any call that can fall within the 10 or under minute, 10 or under, that's not fine, 10 minutes or under, that's the way I should have said it, uh, time frame is what I'll do when I'm going back and forth. If I don't have any calls, then I'm immediately going into study mode, and I'll oftentimes have an audio book or something that I'm going through, and I'm pondering and wane. In fact, that's how I go through World War II. You say, when do you have time to study World War II? Well, that's in my in-between times. So I'm studying World War II, but I'm not studying World War II just for World War II. I am studying the spiritual battle, and I'm weighing these things and praying about them constantly. And so that's where these messages on World War II even come from. I spent a whole season studying World War I before I studied World War II. And so for me, and you could be like, that is a weird way to spend your time. For me, it's extremely important in my life. I am in the midst of a battle. And I want to understand that battle. And so not only am I listening to scripture all th in different spots in my day, but then I'm also meditating upon these different elements that I want to see and work over the truth of God in them to say, how do I as a man stand in this generation? When it's time for bed, bed time, that sounds funny, is a very significant time of your life. And many people blow bedtime. They don't understand the significance of transitioning into a time of sleep that actually there's better ways to do it than others. And so it's a mindset, it's an attitude. For instance, when I'm getting ready for bed, there's certain things I want to be. I want to be clear in my conscience. And so as a result, if, have you ever heard that statement, don't let the sun go down in your wrath? 
I, if there's anything that someone has against me that I would have against someone else, I want to deal with that before I go to bed. It's a very, very significant thing for me. I want my attitude to be right when I'm laying in bed. I want to make sure that I am right with God and with man, and I want to rest the rest of the righteous because that's the only one that really is refreshing. It is miserable when you're living in disobedience to try and sleep. Most sleep problems have to do with exactly that. And so as a result, the way that you even approach this is proactive. The way that I look at sleep is so critical in my life. Because if I'm going to invest that many hours of my day sleeping, I want them to be well invested. Okay, I don't want to waste my night seasons. And so therefore, even the attitude I have, I do not just relinquish myself to sleep. I go into sleep on the offensive. I go into sleep thinking, I belong to Jesus Christ. I want to sleep in the Holy of Holies. I want the Holy Spirit to guard my subconscious, and I want him to make the most of these hours, both physically and spiritually. And some of the most profound things have happened in sleep in my life because I feel like God prepares me for my living out here in you know, what we call the real world, right? in my sleep, and I practice my spirituality, I practice obedience in my sleep. There's no detachment. And so when I go to sleep, the way I want to behave in my sleep is the way I would behave if someone was watching me wide awake. I don't want to go into an alternate universe. I want to live as if Eric Ludi believes in Jesus Christ and is radically following him when I'm asleep. And so as a result, I know it sounds strange, but I want to apply wisdom to my time, wisdom to my sleep. And as a result, I sleep very well. I sleep deep, and I always have. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have times when God will stir me in the night and disrupt my sleep because he has an agenda, but that's part of the wisdom applied to sleep. If he wants to wake me up in the night, I take it very seriously, even though sometimes I have grumbled about I was like, God, I really need my sleep because I can get addicted to that notion as well. It's like I have to have my sleep. No, you have to have me, Eric, and I would like you focused right now on this issue. I'd like you to be praying about it. It's an interesting tension that we can have in our soul when God wakes us up to pray, but that's applying wisdom unto your sleep still. When it's time to wake up, now many of you uh, have heard, because in the classic uh, training that some of you were in, we, we talked about waking up, and there's different ways of waking up that you should apply your mind to wisdom. If you wake up improperly, it sets a course and a tone for your entire day. If you wake up with a grumble, you oftentimes bring a grumble into a good portion of your day until finally the Holy Spirit has worked on you enough. You're like, okay, I guess I should change my attitude, right? As opposed to just changing your attitude before you even wake up. Like you decide before you go to bed how you're gonna wake up. You ever thought about that? You know that I have found, it's a phenomenal thing that I can tell myself when to wake up and I'll wake up at that time. So here, here's, I'm gonna give you some rules of thumb about sleep. You think, Eric, you think a lot about sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleep is a big part of my life, not because I do a lot of it, but because it's an important portion of my day that I want to apply wisdom to. Because most people fall in sleep, and they compromise in sleep, they, in all sorts of ways, in how they go to bed, in how they sleep, and what they allow their mind to dream about, and to, they, they don't have a guard. They're not in the offensive position to push. And as a result, they are taken advantage of by the enemy often. In that, and they feel like, well, it's not my issue. It's not like a moral choice. However, they're not guarded. So as a result, they wake up in what we could call a funk. And then they carry around that funk and actually are wondering, was that me or was that the dream? Am I responsible? I mean, it's just ridiculous some of the things we have to carry around for most of our day, right? 
And so as a result, the way we go to bed, and this is the rule of thumb, when you are sane and clear and sober-minded, and that's when you're getting ready for bed and you're setting your alarm, that's what you agree with in the morning. When, you, when your alarm goes off, do not ask your body if you should get up. If you ask your body if you should get up, I can tell you what your body will tell you. Isn't that amazing that I could read your body's mind? I know what your body will say. It'll say it needs more sleep, almost inevitably. Now, there's those rare situations where you're just lying there awake. You're like, oh, this is miserable. And you'd like to get up too. Your body even says, let's get up. I can't stay here anymore, right? Have you ever had it where you like finally get the morning to sleep in, but your body is so used to a regulated schedule that you're used to getting up early, early, and then you finally get the the morning to sleep in? The one out of a three-week stretch, this has happened to me so many times. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get an extra hour of sleep. And then I'm lying there wide awake. He's like, well, I guess we're getting up. (laughs) But when you make your decision before you go to bed of when you're getting up, that's when you were clear. That's wisdom. So therefore, you agree with it in the morning. Some of you have a relationship with your snooze button, and it's like snooze. Snooze is, whoever invented snooze should go on some kind of criminal trial. Because it has not done any favors to any of us because we can get addicted to that where even the body expects it. So the body pushes and you listen to it. It says, no, we're not getting up. And you're like, okay, I'll listen to you. You cannot listen to your body. Your body is not gonna give you good counsel. The spirit of God says, could you get up? You're like, no, my body says no. You see, that sets a pattern, think about for the rest of the day. Flesh pushes and you go, okay. God says, no but you're used to overriding the Holy Spirit. That isn't a good start to the day, is to override the Spirit's wooing, the Spirit's call to your life. So therefore, when you're going to apply your heart unto wisdom, your time uh, with wisdom, what are you going to do? You're going to say, Spirit rules, truth rules. I made this decision when I was cogent and sound of judgment. So therefore, my choice is yes. And so I have a rhythm, as many of you know. The moment my, my, my little Fitbit will go, and then my right foot will go, boom. My left foot will follow. I'll stand up. Now, my mind and my brain and all that might be like, I'm moving, though. I do not delay. I never hesitate. I move. My first instinct is to move, and then my next one is to be like, good morning. Lord, and then I start repeating truth. I am in Christ by faith. I am in the work of the cross. My old man is dead. It does not rule this body. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. The gospel is going to start coming out of Eric Ludi. Not because it's lucid and clear. It's like I am literally gripping truth. I am going after it through the fog bank of sleepiness to get a sound mind and a sound position for the day. My feelings are not always there when I wake up. It's, it's a weird thing. If we were to just study, it, it'd be a really fascinating short film to just like study people when they first wake up and do interviews of them. Like, how do you feel right now? <laughs> do you feel close to God right now? <laughs> it's weird, but that isn't, we don't feel spiritual when we're first waking up. We feel groggy, we feel slow, we feel sluggish. The body is trying to declare that it has the upper hand and we push against that and we say, actually, the spirit of God owns this body and this body will serve Jesus Christ today. It is a deliberate action. Now, if you start your day that way, 
How do you think it's going to play out as you go when it gets easier? It's easier <laughs> later in the day than it is at that exact moment. You see, night and morning represent two times. Many people fall into self-sins at night when they are even lying in their bed. Many people fall into self-sins in the early morning when they're lying in their bed. It's a very fascinating thing. If you know that and you apply wisdom to it, it's like, all right, extra guard. Extra guard right now. Let's do this right. How so? In the active time, and this is the final one on the list, and in the active times throughout the day, this is an active time, okay, where we are engaged and we are doing something actively. Now, we're, you're sitting in a chair, so it doesn't feel very active, but you're active. And so your time is being used right now for a task, for a duty. And it's sort of like when I get into a meeting, that's an active time. When I'm in here, it's an active time. And so when you're in an active time, you're still applying wisdom to it. There's still a way in which you focus. There's still a way in which you maximize your time. You got one shot at this thing called life. And right now, you guys are getting entrusted with truths that very few people on earth have ever thought about. Very few people on earth have ever thought about how to apply wisdom unto their time. And yet you are hearing it. So what are you doing with it? In other words, what you want to do is engage with God. It does not mean that you are disconnected from God when you're listening to a message like this. Actually, it's all the more you are connected with God. How, so you're connected with God. You're testing every word. You're weighing it. You're actively engaged in your mind. You're remembering what you know about Scripture. You're weighing er Eric's words against it. You are engaged in this time. You are applying wisdom to even your active time. It is funny how, uh, as a man, I struggle with applying wisdom to, to my active time sometimes. Oh, I should say it this way. Applying the practicing the presence of God in my active time. And what's funny is I know about how to do that more than most people on earth. But as a man, I'm a, I can focus on one thing at a time. So when I'm mowing, you know what I have a tendency to think about when I'm mowing? Mowing. I know it's, it's a shocker to you, but like straight lines. And like how much fuel is in the tank. How long am I doing this? Am I getting this? Because I want to get the backyard done in 15 minutes. That's my, my record is like 14 and a half, you know? So I'm like, I, I like create competitions for myself and I'm thinking about these things. I'm thinking about the next time I come around there, I need to catch that little pile of grass and shoot it this way. And so I'm actively engaged in trying to problem solve. Meanwhile, you know what I told myself before I started mowing? I'm going to spend this time meditating upon scripture or I'm going to spend this time praying for so-and-so. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm thinking about straight lines and piles that I need to shoot this way and how long it's taking. Okay, so it's very easy to lose sight of what I'm supposed to be doing on this earth. My grand goal in this earth is not to just mow lawns, even though I really enjoy it. It's to utilize every moment, every scrap of this life for the glory of God. And so how can I mow a lawn in such a way that can bring glory to God? Well, doing it with excellence is part of that. But I also want to leverage the fact that I could do more. And so if, if I have headphones on and I'm hearing something like a book, scripture, it's easier for me. It like helps because I am a very uh, focused guy. And like I said, when I'm pulling weeds, I have a tendency to pull weeds. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how many weeds I've pulled, how full the bag is, how, 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 uh, how many weeds I haven't pulled yet, and how many are still left, and how I'm going to need gloves for that weed over there. And, you know, I'm actively engaged in sort of a nondescript sort of thought pattern. It's like, hey, I could use that time. I could be praying right now. Come on, Eric, you can pray and pull weeds at the same time. Believe me, I've told myself that quite a few times. <clears throat> The Dr. Scott Commission, if any of you, well, all of you have gone through a basic, you've probably heard, I don't remember if I share it, the, the, uh, 
the endless frontier. I know I'm sharing it this week, but I talked about Dr. Scott, who is my vocal coach. He, uh, at the time, when I first started training with him, he was the Olympic long-distance runner's breathing coach. He's this master of the art of breathing. One of, at the time, he was one of the top five vocal coaches in the world. An amazing uh, man, um, an amazing vocal coach. And so I was with him on the, the first day, and so he, he says something like this. So you want to be a great singer? I go, yes, sir. It's okay. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. I want you to train six hours a day. Whoa, 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 whoa. Six hours, and this is what I said. Who has six hours a day to give to singing? can't believe I said that to this guy. And this is his response. Those that want to be the best. It's like, oh, six hours. Six hours? How do you spend six hours a day singing? And so that's, that's a different story, which I'll cover in the Endless Frontier this week, which will be in the advanced training. But uh, the Dr. Scott Commission is if you want to be the best. Let's imagine that I'm a coach uh, here, and we're like this unique troop of students, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if all of you are going to make it. This is going to be one tough course, this advanced training. One of you at the end is going to stand on the platform and get the gold medal. But some of you might not make it. I'm going to challenge you right now to rise up, and I want to see what you're made of. Prove your medal. The one who will know God the best out of this time is the one who will spend the time. Which one of you is willing? If you're going to do this right, I want at least six hours a day given to the pursuit of the presence of God. Whew. And what's interesting is if I said that, it would sound so extreme in an environment like this. How come a vocal coach can get away with it and tell me to spend six hours a day singing and we can go, yeah, it's probably important. I mean, it's singing. I mean, you could be one of the best singers in the world if you did that. But then if I were to say that, first of all, it would sound like legalism, wouldn't it? If I were to say, you guys, need to, you guys need to be praying and studying six hours a day. It just sounds weighty and heavy. But in actuality, there's a truth there, though. The man who would know God must spend time. If you guys want to be great in this thing called Christianity, you need to take time for it. You need to hollow out your life. You need to apply your life unto wisdom. You need to say, okay, God, if this is the one shot I have at life, I have one go at it, and this is how many hours I have in the day, and this is what matters most, I want to win the gold medal. I'm going after it. To go after it, you have to spend time. You have to discipline your life and every moment of your life has to be arranged around an end goal. The Matthew Henry principle, treat every hour as precious. So Matthew Henry has a commentary. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the printed version. Many of us get it in the digital version now, but it, I have a version of it. It's in this big red uh, bound book and the, the, t the text in it is teeny. It's, I, I don't know who, it, who published this version of it, but I think they're trying to take this whole collection of books and stick it all in one, but it's like that thick with like this really thin paper and the font size is teeny tiny, right? This is a massive collection. This is a massive work that this man did. And if I were to say, why don't you guys write a commentary like Matthew Henry? You'd say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time like Matthew Henry had. Well, actually, that's the whole point. Matthew Henry didn't have time. Matthew Henry had probably no more time. Maybe he even had less than you have. And yet he wrote 
this incredible commentary. How did he do that? It's because he got up at four every morning for most of his life and worked from four to seven. Then his family would get up and they would have morning devotions and breakfast and then he would go off to work the rest of the day. He would get to bed at the same time every night, get up at four, work from four to seven, and he created what we know as Matthew Henry's commentaries, which is arguably one of the best commentaries ever made. And so what you have is a man who recognized that, okay, I have to work full time throughout my life. I don't have the luxury that some people do of just writing books, of studying all day long. So he took three hours every day. It's amazing what happens when you take three hours every day. I remember this one guy saying, what if, and he wasn't talking about Matthew Henry, but he was saying, what if someone just took like one to three hours a day, early in the morning before they went off to work, they could start an entire business in that time. They could like do all sorts of things. You could write a book. You could do, just think about what you could do if you had three hours every day dedicated to one task. It's like, huh, that's an interesting point. Well, that's the Matthew Henry principle. In other words, but you have to apply wisdom to your time. You can't just randomly do it. You have to, when you're seen clearly, when you are cogent and sound of judgment, you say, I got one life to live here. I want to use my time in such a way as to maximize it. Most people cannot figure out how I come up with content and how I do these things because they watch me through the day and like, he's in meetings, he's doing all this. It has to do with everything we're talking about here. It's like, Every moment that I have, I'm having to weigh and measure, okay, can I be present here or do I need to be dealing with this? I have emails that are always coming in. I have things, messages that I always need to finish up. I have things that I need to review so we could send them out. It's like, okay, Eric, could you review this email? Could you do this? And I have just relationships that I need to cultivate. How do you do all these things? Well, you have to apply wisdom unto your time. The John Wesley motto, keep the hour. This has had a big impact on my life. It's, it's a hard thing to mimic, I'm going to tell you that, uh, but it's very inspiring. John Wesley, for around 50 years of his life, kept the hour, which meant he got to bed at the same time and he got up at the same time. And if he didn't get to bed at that time because of something that was happening, he still got up at the same time. And I don't know, Nathan, if you remember if it was like 3 or 4 in the morning, for like 50 years straight. And this man arguably was one of the most productive men in the history of earth. That's not an exaggeration. What this man accomplished uh, is so extreme in his one lifetime. And if you were to say, what, were your, what was your secret, John Wesley? And of course he might say, well, the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be an accurate answer. But he would also say, well, I kept the hour. And because of that discipline in his life, which by the way is very difficult to do, this is not something that just comes naturally to any human. We have seasons where we'll keep the hour, and then we'll get disrupted. Have you ever had that where you're just even traveling home from Ellerslie back home, and you're just extra exhausted and tired, and you sleep in a couple days, and you lose that, that structure to your life, and then you just might not ever get it back. It's an interesting phenomenon and how that works. And so what you see with John Wesley is I don't care where in the world I'm at. I don't care what's going on. I'm keeping the hour. And you have to admire the discipline And I'm not going to say this is what you have to live. You have to live like John Wesley. I'm saying be inspired by those that have gone before us that have applied wisdom to their time. Not that you have to be John Wesley or Matthew Henry, that you have to write a commentary or you ride on horseback and preach in open air. It's not the same life that you live, but it is the same amount of time that you've been given. 24 hours in every day. 
You have no guarantee of how many breaths you will have. Every one of us probably has a different amount that we have been allotted by God. However, how are you going to use the ones that you've been given? The Martin Luther axiom, give the best hours of the day. So as legend would have it, Matthew, or Matthew Henry, Martin Luther took the best hours of his day, which were right over the middle of the day, like 12 to 3, and he figured those are the choicest hours of my day, so I'm going to give them to God. Okay, and I'm not, not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying look at the impact of the life, though. You have this man. Now, Martin Luther had some issues at times, but uh, he also took a stand that is very rare in any generation in all of history. And he was willing to say, look, I believe the word of God is, in fact, the word of God. I believe that it reveals Jesus Christ. And I, re- I believe, I mean, he, he stood against the Catholic Church, which at that time was not healthy. And he, he lived a pretty amazing life. His axiom is, is rather profound. Give the best hours of your day. If you have a flock of, she- uh, of sheep, flock of sheep, that's, that sounds funny, flock. Is that right? Flock. Sounds like birds, but then, okay, flock of sheep. If you have a flock of sheep and the king comes to town, you don't pick your aged one that's about ready to die, and you're like, well, it's dying anyways. Let's give it to the king. You're supposed to kill the fattened calf or the fattened lamb. In other words, the best in your flock, the one without spot. That's the one you give. So as a result, you're supposed to pick the choicest in your, in your bunch. For us, most of us don't think that way. We give the lame and the weak aspects of our life to our God as opposed to saying, God, you're deserving of my very best. Here you go. The Native American approach, don't waste any of that buffalo. That's, that's how I, I, I was never a Native American. I never witnessed this firsthand. But in the history books, supposedly, the Native Americans were really good with their efficiency of the buffalo. In other words, they're going to use every little bit of it. There's your, your principle. Use that every bit of your day. It's not a buffalo. It's a day. It's time. And if you use every bit of your time wisely, you know that there's nothing wrong with sleeping. There's nothing wrong with rest. There's nothing wrong with leisurely activity. There's nothing wrong with playing a game with your children or with your friends. It's that you are attuned and you're weighing and applying wisdom to it because sometimes God says, do that. Spend time with them relationally. Other times he says, come away. And even though you hear the giggles and the laughter in the other room and you're like, oh, I really want to participate, he says, come with me. Apply wisdom to your time. And when you do, it will maximize the impact of your life on this earth. Making your every moment count. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What you see is the use of time here. You see that everything in between, all the goings forth, the sitting down, the driving here and there, is being leveraged. It's all, you're setting it before your very eyes so in every situation you are being reminded of what matters. This, if we could live this practically in our life, that was interesting because I don't know, Nathan Johnson must have given a message that stirred up some of the students because they were saying that each of them had like this dedication of what symbol in their life would remind them to stay focused on Christ and to be praying. And one of them said every time they look at their watch, Uh, that would remind them to be praying. And the other one said every time they pick up a pen. Is that what it was? And then the other one was every time they drink water. Uh, And so it was fascinating. It was an interesting statement because I used to do the same thing. Every time I would sit down for a meal, 
I would remember, and there were certain things I would remember and rehearse to God, and I would do it in my prayer before the meal, but I would rehearse, I'd pray for certain people, I would do certain things every time, I would be, so it created a tradition. Now, I actually think that some of those more micro-movements are even better, because you're doing them even more often throughout the day, and so to have things in your day which are triggers for the focus that you are to have, because there's so many things in this world that can distract us. All right, this is the full quote from A.W. Tozier. The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer hours on end. Whew, what a, it's inspiring and daunting all at the same time. The worst thing we can do is take the legal approach to this and say, okay, how much time? Nope. It's that we are given saying, God, I desire to know you. What is the best way to maximize my relationship with you? How can we do this? You see, God will teach you. He'll give you wisdom for that. Part of it, a big part of it, is going to be how you look at time. That your time has to be given to God. And say, God, first off, I'm not going to tithe you 10% of my time. I'm going to give you 100% of it. Now, now that you have it, God, you show me what you want me to do with it. That's the proper way of handling time as a Christian. Your time is not your own. It was bought with a price. It's now his. Every breath of yours actually belongs to him. Every second of your life belongs to him. Every word that you're going to speak is a, is a word that is supposed to be measured by him and used for him. Every thought in your mind is actually purchased by him, and he, he actually wants those thoughts to be leveraged properly, which is why Paul says, think on these things. And so as a result, when you recognize that, your life comes into a different order and alignment. And you say, okay, God, for you, how do we do this thing? And when you do it his way, for his glory, to know him and to make him known, it's incredible. But it sponsors a beautiful intimacy with the God of the universe. Father, build us as the bride of Christ to truly delight in our groom to enter into that depth of fellowship with you, to be attuned, to be focused throughout the day, to leverage our time and all of it to cultivate our love relationship with you. But not just that, but our relationship with others. May we learn this model of relationship building and intimacy production. Lord Jesus, may we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and may we do this right. We love you and trust you. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.